Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Rossat, managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. If you're not going to FightfulMMA.com, you're missing out, especially on fight nights. We have hundreds, if not thousands of comments, people talking in our live discussion, chatting about the events. We have Seda Wolf's feature that's up on FightfulMMA.com right now. But today, July 16th, we're here to talk about UFC Sacramento, UFC San Antonio, ew, San Antonio. But we are here joined by Showdown Joe Ferraro. Joe, how are you? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing, man? Everything all right, man? Looking pretty slick. Got that blue shirt on today. What are you representing now? Uh, light blue shirts. That's <laughs> awesome. The Ewing, Kentucky light blue shirts is what I'm representing. Say, I was waiting for some Kentucky reference there. And, and that's about it. But we got quite a bit to talk about. Bellator's got a tournament coming up. They had an event last week. Not a lot to talk about there. Uh, UFC Sacramento was this past weekend, and UFC San Antonio is this weekend. Joe, there's there's quite a bit going on. Not a lot that's really transcending into to mainstream culture or anything like that, but still still a busy time. Uriah Faber's back. Yeah, I mean, it's this is the time of the year that I would always talk when I was you know back in the day. Uh, I would talk with Dana. I mean, like this is when sports. Uh, Sports networks are always trying to find content because, you know, the, the, the majority of the big sports aren't available. Hockey, uh, football, um, you know, it, it's just not basketball, right? So this is a good time to have tons of content. This is the time, I think, when they should also be stacking up some of their shows. But nonetheless, there are events going on, like you said. They're not exactly mainstream uh, for most. But with Uriah Faber returning uh, on Saturday and a bit of a – not sure if it's controversial, but you know, his performance, he came back, looks good at 135 pounds, and we'll see where he wants to go from there. UFC Sacramento, let's go ahead and get into it. This was a pretty fun show. There was some some stuff that unfolded on there, of course. The thing that got the most attention, Joe, was Uriah Faber and his return. But was there anything necessarily on that prelim show that stood out to you? Because it was a weirdly constructed card, and I said that from the beginning. You had Juliana Pena against a former champion on the prelims, and hey, good for Juliana Pena. Ryan Hall was on the prelims. Uh, 
apparently K1 kickboxing Darren Elkins, <laughs> which I didn't expect. Brianna Van Buren looked amazing. I think she is a future star. Uh, who stands out to you on that prelim show? Because to me, it's Brianna Van Buren. Yeah, Brianna for sure, 100%. I mean, that was a damn good performance. But going back to Ryan Hall for a moment, that that was interesting to note because perhaps it was a time to signal for, for Ryan and, and for Azahabi and everyone at the gym, even Kenny Florian in the corner, that, you know what? Throw your hands, throw your kicks. You know, it, it, there, there's there's a comfort zone Sometimes when people are competing that they don't want to get hit in the face, they don't want to get hurt, they don't want to get into a striking battle, it's not my strength. Well, guess what, dude? There's nothing to worry about at this point here because you just keep your distance and you know, you're going to roll no matter what for that Iminari roll. You're going to do it anyways, but start launching away, start throwing some bombs, and if they decide to go to the ground with you, even better. That's what you want, right? So it's, it's something for him to consider, uh, and I'm sure he's probably told by Faraz on numerous occasions, dude, you got to be comfortable with your strikes. Don't be afraid, and it's it's. We've seen so many, uh, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, even wrestlers uh, back in the day. Once they get comfortable, as long as they don't get too comfortable, but don't be afraid to strike. Do it. You did it against Darren Elkins, a very experienced mixed martial artist, and you know those spinning wheel kicks that landed were absolutely fantastic, especially that first one. But it just goes to show you, bombs away. They take you down to the ground. Okay, let's go. So Brianna Van Buren, like five feet tall. She's a five foot tall bully, Joe. Yes, she is. It, it's so wild the way that she just jobbed out uh, Livia Souza. Like a, for, a couple of former champions here, Invicta champions. And I, when I saw those lines, I was like, all right, okay, that, that's an interesting line. I thought Souza would be, I don't want to say a sizable favorite, but I thought she would be a favorite. Uh, as it turns out, that wasn't the case and with good reason. And Brianna Van Buren wants a top 10 right out of the gate. And maybe she won't get it. Maybe she will because of the division she's in. And there aren't that many anyway. But good on her for calling out somebody and saying, I am ready for that top 10, Joe. I admire that. Of course. Like we always said, it's that post-fight interview that counts the most. That's what you want to do. And, 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 you know, you can see now anyone that's doing those post-fight interviews, whether it's Michael Bisping or John Anik or even DC, they're probably told, ask. Ask who they want next. Ask who they want to compete against next, and it's perfect. It's a perfect opportunity. You're technically doing the matchmakers a favor if it's a fair fight. If it's a fair matchup, they'll probably grant it to you, right? And again, it's it, you're building up, um, you know, the, the the reel to continue to promote your fight. So good for her. Uh, I don't know if she's going to get anyone at 115 pounds uh, in the top 10, but why not? Ryan Hall beat Darren Elkins. Wow, this performance. Ryan Hall threw a kick that nobody saw coming, especially Darren Elkins. That was surprising. Uh, Then we got kind of traditional Ryan Hall. Juliana Pena over Nico Montano. Uh, Juliana Pena back in the fold. She had not won since Fightful launched that week, and she had only fought once. She had dealt with legal issues and pregnancies and injuries and all that. What do you think a Juliana Pena's ceiling is in this division? Um, well, again, it's her first fight back from such a long time. She's only 29 years old. Um, I guess you could say that there was a bit of octagon or ring rust heading into this fight here. It's the same for Nico sort of thing. I mean, Nico did take it on short notice, if I'm not mistaken. Not overly short notice, but short notice enough. So for Juliana, her ceiling is still high. She still has tons of work to do. And, and, and even though she's 29, she can just focus and continue training the way she was. Because she was a menace back in the day. Like, she was seriously uh, someone who we consider. And, you know, she ran into Valentina Shevchenko. But before that, 
she reeled off four straight wins. You know, she did have two losses, but those weren't even in the UFC. She came in, uh, did the ultimate fighter, won three straight fights, and that was against uh, Dudaleva, just Jessica I, and Kat Zingano. Like, let's be honest here. This chick can bang. She can go. She's, she's got the, you know, once she gets on top of, uh, you know, someone and starts raining down those punches, she can be damn dramatic in victory. So uh, the ceiling is high, in my opinion. She has plenty of room, plenty of time uh, to keen to do it, but you got to be consistent. You definitely got to be consistent, and she's got to continue fighting. What about Nico Montano, who did not look very good at 135 pounds, did not look good here? And, I, man, I, I hate to say it, Joe, but maybe – Juliana Pena was too much of an ask for Nico Montano because let's let's be honest. Let's look at her pro record, four and three. I often point to the ultimate fighter and say, okay, well, these fights should count. Well, here's the thing. All three of her fights were decisions. The Barb Honchak fight, I'm cool with. That was three rounds. But I don't put a lot of stock into two-round decision victories on tough. If they're three rounds or if they're a finish, I put a lot of stock into it, Joe. But we're, we're talking about a Nico Montano who beat Roxanne Modafferi, all due respect to Roxanne Modafferi, to win that title. Beat Lauren Murphy, who we've seen isn't quite where she where we thought she was. Um, Barb Honchak has not had a good go of it lately. Montana De La Rosa, probably her best win, all things considered, and that was a two-rounder. I, I see the ceiling for Nico Montano is maybe like 13, 14, 15 in this Bantamweight division. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about someone that was the champ, right? Or, you know, she was the champion of the division. So it's, it's very difficult to say, you know, what's she's 30, not that old. You know, she's only a year older than um, Pena. So it's tough to dissect and take a look at, are you that good? Are you not that good? Like, what's going on here? What happened here? Because... Obviously, coming out of the ultimate fighter and, and quote-unquote, becoming the champ. Now you're not the champ. You had it stripped from you. Um, you should be number one in this division, in my opinion, right? Like, you should be getting that fight with Valentina Shevchenko. But based on this performance, not so much. Yeah, the, the prelims also featured, as we mentioned, Andre Feely defeating Shaman Marias. You had Jonathan Martinez with a big KO as well. Uh, the it was weird to me that they put Vittori versus Ferrara and Roberson versus Terman on that main card over Feely, Pena, Montano, Ryan Hall, even the Brianna Van Buren fight. I could have looked at that and saw, okay, she's fight, two former Invicta champions, throw them on the main card. But Josh Emmett looked very good, defeating Mirsad Bektich. Uh, wow, man, he looked like something to be worried about. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I gave credit to Emmett during last week's show, right? During last week's podcast, I said, don't lose your sleep. And before I continue with that, I think maybe Vittori was added to the main card uh, because here's a guy that's gone the distance with the interim champ, with Israel Adesanya, sure. who many people are holding very high hopes for as potentially one of the best pound for pound in the sport within you know two or three fights, especially uh, should he take out Robert Whitaker. So I'm wondering if, if Marvin Vittori, who I think looked fantastic, I mean, that guy's beast. He's a, he's a six-footer at 185 pounds. 74-inch reach, that dude's an absolute monster uh, in this division. So I think they're trying to still showcase him there. Uh, but Josh Emmett, like you said, I mean, one round, gets rid of Mursad Bektich. That, that was an absolutely fantastic performance. I, I, I'd said it in the, in, during last week's show that even though against Michael Johnson he was losing that fight, you can't blink on Josh Emmett. 
That guy there will turn a fight around in a heartbeat. He's always got the power. He's proven he could continue to launch those bombs in the third round. Didn't really have to against Mursad because once he started landing, it was game over and lights out for Mursad. So good on Josh M. Josh Emmett. Let's see what happens now uh, at 145 pounds. But I think it was a fantastic performance to say the least. As Joseph Boza points out in our live chat, uh, by the way, guys, leave us a thumbs up. Nico was supposed to fight Sarah McMahon. I think that would have been even worse for her. Correct. Uh, yeah, that, that, that would, would have not been, have been pretty. She would have been taken down and dominated. Josh uh, or Josh Emmett is now four and one in his last five. He is six and two in the UFC. And the thing is, Joe, he's a complete one eighty from what we saw the first. I don't know. Maybe I mean we we've covered his entire UFC career almost on this show outside of the John yeah. Tuck fight, but. I think it was those first four fights all went to the scorecards. They some of them were split decisions. They weren't great fights. I, I you were you covered his UFC 210 fight in person. Yep. But since then, he has finished Bektich, Michael Johnson, and Ricardo Lamas. Mm-hmm. That is at featherweight. That's not easy to do. And you know he got beat by Jeremy Stevens. But hey, good on him, man. Good on him. That return to featherweight. Has has been huge for him, so uh, I'm I'm cool with seeing Josh Emmett in this position. Yeah, but th- what sucks for him is right above him in the rankings is Jeremy Stevens, right? So he's yeah. got Yair Rodriguez, Korean Zombie, uh, Michael Mancheripov, uh, and the big names as well at 145 pounds. He finds himself at number nine. Uh, Moicano's coming off that loss. Uh, are you thinking maybe Calvin Qatar or maybe Arnold Allen, Shane Burgos? I mean, there's you know Ryan Hall now. He's ranked, like wasn't ranked last week. Yeah, Ryan Hall wasn't ranked last week, so that could get real interesting. I'll tell you who else wasn't ranked last week. Uriah Faber. <laughs> My God, you could not have scripted it. Well, you could have scripted it a little bit better with the finish. He is now number 14 ranked yeah. after he beat the number 15, Ricky Simone, who is now unranked. We will go through these rankings uh heavily in a bit, Joe, uh, as this will be one of the last weeks we get to use screen share because Google Hangouts is going away. Oh, boy. But <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty wild the way that this, this all unfolded. Faber gets hit, steps back, throws one, drops his opponent, follows up, and that's a wrap. First off, do you think the stoppage was too early? Uh, I think it was a little early, but I didn't, didn't see what Beltran saw because he's got he's got the best view out of everybody. Nine times out of ten, the referee usually does, and you can see probably looking at a fighter's eyes uh, in a situation like that. Do they roll back into his head? Does he look blank uh, after being struck? I also think, and it's crazy to say, people may not understand this, may not even believe this, but I think any UFC bouts that take place in Sacramento, I think the referees are on high alert. Uh, it is the state capital. It is exactly where Andy Foster, and that's where all the commission is basically located. First day. Yeah. So when they're refereeing, I think they're on there. It's almost like they're trigger happy. It's if anything, anything bad happens, boom, go. Right. So it was one of those things where I even felt like a couple of stoppages. I was like, well, you gotta let that go somewhere else. I think, you know, I'm not pointing fingers or not saying anything, but I think I know what's happening here. You're kind of nervous. Like it'd be happy. Like if something was to happen in Ontario, Sean, um, you know, if it was happening in Ottawa, uh, whatever. But if it's happening in Toronto, where the where the State Athletic Commission actually is, different story. I mean, different story altogether. If it's happening in Nevada, if it's happening in Vegas, you know, it's 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 
it's all eyes and you're under a microscope. And I feel like some of the referees may have felt they were under a microscope uh, during this event here. Uh, hence the word just going in there, trigger happy and stopping fights a little too early. When I first saw this fight, I thought it was stopped a little too early. I think you're right. I think Ricky had a bit more to go. And of course, you always question a scenario when a referee does step into a fight and, and the opponent's still fighting back, trying to grab a leg and ends up grabbing the referee's leg and the other fighter's gone. Like the fighter, Ricky Simone, was still trying to fight, right? So it is one of those things. But again, Beltran had a better view than all of us. He could see whether or not uh, Ricky Simone's eyes were like, whoop, see ya, got tagged again, got to go. So it is what it is, but yeah. So Uriah Faber's back, and of course he challenged Henry Cejudo. Yes. Of course he did. I'm so sick of that shit. Our good friend James Lynch wrote an article uh, outlining why Faber should not get this. Here's the funny thing, Joe. I cover WWE heavily, maybe more than anybody else. Our joke is that Seth Rollins, the new universal champion, between April's WrestleMania and this I think in a couple weeks, uh, SummerSlam, he'll have faced Brock Lesnar on pay-per-view three times, Baron Corbin on pay-per-view three times. Really, they're just ripping off Uriah Faber's gimmick. That's all they're doing. (laughs) This man has had so many title shots, and I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. Uriah Faber should not get a title fight unless, Joe, unless the UFC wants to book an interim title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Uriah Faber. And the only, only reason I'm okay with that is because Peter Yan looks like he's going to be out of action for a while. Henry Cejudo looks like he's going to be out of action for a while. Uriah Faber is a big name. He has won two fights in a row. Aljamain Sterling deserves a title shot. And because neither one of them deserve a title shot upon Cejudo's return more than Joseph Benavidez does. With all of those parts moving in unison, I would be somewhat okay with it. However, am I clamoring for it? No. This is more me playing devil's advocate for it. What do you think? I you know, it's, I think your assessment is bang on. I mean, Uriah Faber comes in at number 14 now at the rankings. Uh, it's been gone forever. Not forever. He's been retired. Wins one fight. Now he's number 14. Uh, and, and the whole Cejudo thing, I get it. What we, what we all have to understand here is sometimes, and if you've been a long-time mixed martial arts fan in the bubble or not, you know how this works. It doesn't mean the highest-ranking fighter gets the title shot. It's the one that often moves the needle. I'll play devil's advocate again. So I utilize the fight matrix rankings often. I, I speak yep. about them. I like their formula. I really enjoy it. It is a statistical-based formula right now. The number 10 ranked Bantamweight in the world is Uriah Faber. Interesting. He is behind John Lineker, no longer in the UFC. Cody Garbrandt coming off of three losses. And this this isn't in order. Pedro Munoz just lost. Marlon Marias just lost. You've also got Horiguchi in there. You can't count him. Peter Yan, we mentioned, sidelined. Corey Sandhagen is the only name that I see above him that I'm like, okay, that's someone with merit. Not coming off of a loss, all and that a stuff. Bad man. Yes, four zero in the UFC, but you book him in a bantamweight title fight. And all due respect to Corey Sandhagen, there's going to be a lot of people going, "Who in the shitting fuck is Corey Sandhagen?" 
pardon my language. <laughs> I, I hate to say that, but l- let me let me see. D- does Corey Sanhagen have Twitter? <laughs> I don't know because <laughs> I was going to try to see what his. Oh my! Guy's got twenty three hundred followers, mm. and he's going to have a whole lot more because he's going to be a guy that competes at the high levels of this bantamweight division for a very, very long time. But right now, does he deserve a fight uh, for an interim title more than Uriah Faber? Yes. Will he get it? I don't think so, Joe. I don't, well, I'm not saying I don't think so, Sean. I'm just not yeah. going to say it. He's so good. That's the thing. Sanhagen is so good. I know. Like Sanhagen, well, it's so crazy. His, his LFA run and his early UFC run, up until the understandable split decision with John Lineker, man, he was finishing people. First, second round. I'm telling you, the dude's a bad man, but he's not a needle mover. That's the problem, right? Until he starts moving that needle, uh, it's going to be a bit of a challenge for him. I mean, Al Jermaine's moving that needle more. He's also higher ranked. Uh, he deserves that title shot, and I do believe – uh, if they if that Peter Yan fight isn't going to happen, Al Jermaine should be next, but he's going to be on hold, like you said, while Henry Cejudo uh, recovers. So if you want to do that interim title fight, and we all laugh at interim title fights, this one could make sense. If not, just literally promote it as a number one contender fight, as crappy as it sounds for everyone else in this division. Uh, and this could be an opportunity if that was to get done. I know we're playing devil's advocate on what ifs here. But man, could Corey Sanhagen go on an absolute run and lose his marbles? I mean, Cody Garbrandt can't really say much. I know he's Uriah Faber's, uh, t- you know, protege and teammate and stuff like that. But Cody Garbrandt's just, you know, he 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 continues to play with fire and gets knocked out. So, uh, as weird as it sounds, and I would never ever probably promote this with any other fighter, but once the guy has a big name, guy's a Hall of Famer, moves that needle, uh, you know, be surprised if you see him in a title shot or some certain some sort of interim title. Very, very soon. Main event, Jermaine Durandamy stepped in, dropped Aspen Lad, or <laughs> turned her around, and the fight was stopped. How'd you feel about this finish, Joe? Yeah, uh, same thing, same thing. It was a tad trigger happy, although when you look at Aspen Lad, you're kind of thinking yourself, ooh. Uh. Actually, wait a second. Was it Beltran that did the Faber fight? Uh, gosh, I can't remember. Or Herzog. I'd Maybe Bill Trent did the main event? I'm I'd have to take a look. Irrelevant. Fight, or the referees, in my opinion, were a tad trigger-happy in some of these fights. I think this was another one. Uh, although, you know, Durand and me, as much as we, you know, rip her on this show, she's got skills. She's got power. You know, she's kind of operating at a different frequency sometimes. To me, it's like, man, you're a bit of a weirdo at times, but you're, you know... You're sweet here. You're a little crazy there. What's going on over here? But the woman could throw bombs. At 135 pounds, she can land bombs as well. I would have liked to have given Aspen Lad a bit more leeway to see what she could do. But again, referee has the best look than all of us. They can see if a fighter uh, sort of shut down momentarily and they don't want to have them incur any more damage. So, yeah, I, I kind of get it. But I would like to have seen that fight go a little bit more. So Aspen Ladd is obviously going to be around for a while, but Jermaine Durandamy, that I understand why the UFC probably wouldn't want to give her a title fight, Joe. 
for any number of reasons. But the sad, Jesus, there'd be so many. Vinny, thank you, by the way, was Herb Dean in the main event, Sean? The sad reality is she's probably the most qualified fighter at 135 or 145 pounds because she won the featherweight championship. And at 135 pounds, she's won four fights in a row. Oh, man. How do you do this if you're the UFC? I mean, it's a woman who very clearly won the championship, then refused to defend the title, then took almost two years off. Do you feel comfortable putting her in that position? Because let's be honest, there's there's a chance. There's a pretty good, solid chance she beats Amanda Nunes. She's a very good fighter. Do I think she will? No, but I think there's a real good chance. Yeah, well, there's always a chance, especially with that type of power. But the way you just described it, the way you just explained it, um, that's what the UFC's thinking. Like, fine, you're the number one contender. You were the champ before. Higher division. Didn't defend it. Yeah. So what's to say you're not going to do the same thing again? You know, and there's been a history of, of, you know, situations where you're not fighting. Don't make it to fights. You know, you got those guys over at Fightful, especially the, you know, that, that managing editor guy, Sean Ross Sapp, always saying you don't make it to fights. We're nervous until the referee steps out of the way because we don't believe you're going to fight. You know, there, there, there's a lot of things to consider in this type of situation. With You know, here, here's a situation we're talking about Uriah, who technically doesn't deserve a title shot but moves the needle. Now you got Jermaine Durandamy, who deserves a title shot that doesn't move the needle, that has all of us worried that the, is this fight actually going to take place, right? Yeah. So it, it, it is so weird. And again, she can also fight at 145. I mean, that Cyborg fight is what we talked about so many different times. I know Cyborg's got to deal with Felicia first, but yeah, it's it's an interesting dichotomy when it comes to Jermaine Durandamy because we just don't know. She's she's almost like that Vanderlei Silva. We don't know. We, we can't, it's hard to predict. We don't know what's going on. So that was UFC Sacramento. Pretty good show, I thought. Pretty solid show. Uh <laughs> This weekend is UFC San Antonio. We're going to get into the preview of that, but I feel like we should still talk about at least the fights that mattered on the the, uh, Bellator show last weekend. Julia Budd did exactly what we thought she was going to do. She just dominated one very quickly. Uh, She is one title defense away, as is Alima Leigh McFarlane, for tying the Bellator record with Ben Askren. Uh, We had Rafael Carvalho defeating Chidi Injikawani. Ed Root defeating uh, Kichi Kunamoto very quickly. Juliana Vazquez wins. Uh, then you also have Arlene Blinkow wins very quickly. Leslie Smith got a win. The people that Bellator needed to win got wins on this show, Joe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting it. I thought that Kuchi, that uh, Ed Ruth and, and Kunimoto fight was going to go the distance. Uh, I think I... Was it last week? No, I said Ed Ruth was going to, going to win, but Kunimoto's got some, you know, skills. But, yeah, at 170 pounds, Ed Ruth gets his win, you know, midway through, just past the midway point uh, of the second round here. Uh, Carvalho and Chidi Njikwani, I thought that would have ended earlier. Didn't. Is what it is. Julia Budd dominating like that. I mean, two minutes, 14 seconds. Yeah. I mean, we, we always say there's always a puncher's chance. What did you say last week about Olga Rubin that – Never heard of her. Have no idea what's going on. But she's fighting for a title fight or something like that. I yeah, mean, yeah. So that's that's what you get. And it's weird when we're giving accolades uh, to Julia Budd and or you know Elaine McFarland that they're both to tie Ben Askren's record. When realistically speaking, the talent isn't as 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 good as what Ben Askren had to go through. But hey, man, 
win the title, defend the title. It's not their problem. They're just doing their job. So good for them. It'd be interesting to note, you know, what's going to happen next with Julia Budd. Uh, but yeah, interesting scenario. Bellator has got to start putting some more names on these shows. It, it's very frustrating to see how that unfolds. Uh, it's also kind of frustrating to see how some of the PFL stuff unfolded. Uh, Sarah Kaufman didn't end up fighting last week, but John Howard won. He defeated Ray Cooper. You had Kayla Harrison emerging victorious again. Chris Curtis got beat pretty pretty one-sided against Magomed, Magomed Kamirov. Uh, you had Boyan Velikovic getting beaten by Zeferino, but uh, some uh, Larissa Pacheco got a win on the prelim show there. That was a, a nice win for her, someone who was highly touted at one point. But I look at that and I'm like, okay, Kayla Harrison's fighting. What else? Uh, what else? I'll tell you what else is happening for Bellator. They announced their featherweight Grand Prix tournament field, Joe. And it looks pretty. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Be fun. They have shows on September 7th. Let's go ahead and get into that. Sam Cecilia versus Pedro Carvalho. Former champion Daniel Strauss against Derek Campos. Former champion Pat Curran against Adam Borks. And the one I'm really interested in, Emmanuel Sanchez against the 5-0 Taiwan Claxton. You want to talk about Into the Fire. Taiwan Claxton's going into the fire here, Joe. Yeah, this is going to be a fantastic fight. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, how he's going to deal with uh, with Sanchez. But this is pretty good, you know. I, I'm liking what I see here. But again, it remains. Uh, it, it's it's so hard to figure out these tournaments, but they're always fun to try and dissect, and because so many different things can happen, right? Like, I mean, let's just go back to Daniel Cormier before he entered that Strike Force tournament. I think he was an alternate. And I remember being live on the air, syndicated across the country, saying, can you imagine Daniel Cormier becomes a Strikeforce champ or becomes a, wins this tournament? No, it'll never happen. Lo and behold, look at this guy's career. Pound for pound, one of the best in the sport uh, ever. So th- these featherweight fights and this tournament, man, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I think Cecilia's going to have – you better watch that chin of his, man, because Carvalho's going to come there knocking on that door. Look out. September 28th in Inglewood at Bellator 228, you have Patricky or Patricio Pitbull uh, take on Juan Archuleta. That is a hell of a fight. Yep. No, they got to headline that with a Pitbull. <laughs> Georgie Caracanyan against AJ McKee. Another hell of a fight. AJ McKee, really, really good. I think this side of the bracket is really loaded up. Darian Caldwell, the former Bantamweight champion. I love that he is in this tournament because we talked about him needing to move up. He told me that he probably was going to move up. Taking on Henry Corrales, Daniel Weichel against Saul Rogers. Ooh, this is good. How do you see this one, Joe? Um, as much as we laugh at the Pipple brothers, that is a solid fight uh, with Archuleta. That's going to be a bank best. And it's a, it's a good fight only because, let's say Juan wins. He becomes the champ. Still got to continue the tournament. Got to defend it. And if, if, if you know, Patrizio wins... He's defended his title, and Juan Archuleta just you know has got to move down the rankings, and he's got to win more fights. Does he go in as an alternate into this tournament afterwards? Right, so uh, I'm really liking it. Uh, AJ McKee, 
Um, and Karkanian, I don't know, man. I think McKee's just going to take him down and just do what he always does and uh, you know, emerge victorious unless something presents itself, right? Caldwell at 145, that's something we should pay very close attention to because he no longer has to count those extra or, or cut those extra 10 pounds. Does he become more explosive and more powerful uh, at 145 pounds? So, uh, and the Saul Rogers and, and Weichel fight, I mean, you tell me, it's, it's, it's an opening round fight. I don't know. I think, I think I'll lean towards Weichel in this fight here. I am really interested to see how this unfolds. Now, the thing is, Joe, I, normally I would say, okay, well, who's going to be in the finals? Who's going to be in the finals? Who's going to who's gonna handle all this? Like, who, Who's going to go all the way? But we can't really determine that because these are just first-round matches. These aren't necessarily sides of the bracket, as I had mentioned incorrectly earlier. There will be a random draw, I, yeah. I believe, that determines a second round. So we could see, for example... AJ McKee versus Darian Caldwell. We could see AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull versus Pat Curran versus Emmanuel Sanchez, Claxton, anybody. I like that, Joe. Yeah. I like that a lot more than predetermined brackets. Let's just let the chips fall wherever they may. I don't mind predetermined brackets, provided that there's a storyline that we could follow all the way to the end, like putting the number one and number two seeds on opposite sides of the bracket letting them try and get their way uh, into the finals. I don't mind that. I also don't mind the flip side, you know, a, a random draw. You know, it, 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 the risk with that is what if you get your seven and eight and, you know, all, all the one guys on the one side of the bracket that are lower ranked and then the good guys are all on the left side. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of a weird sort of scenario. But I should ask you, uh, you know, and, and again, Bozo pointed this out as well. Bellator 226 main events, Ryan Bader against Czech Congo for the heavyweight title. And Bellator 228 will have Machida versus Musasi. What do you think of those two? Oh, I boy, like it. There, there okay. are some <laughs> – Bellator has the, the ability to put on a lot of great fights. And when they do, I'm all on board, Joe, because I see that potential there. Yeah, I see that potential to build a big fight. And, hey, they have the benefit of building freak show fights too supporting those great fights with freak show fights and supporting them with any number of great prospects. So when they do it right, that makes me awfully happy. Now, Joe, I'm going to do a video on this probably later in the week, but I want your thoughts on these rankings and I'm going to pull them up to where you can see them as well. That way uh, everybody gets a look at this. We're going to take a look at the UFC rankings. Robert Whitaker moves up to number eight in the pound for pound. Poirier falls down number two spots. I don't know how the hell that happens. <laughs> Sergio Pettis is, I guess, a flyweight again. What? Correct. <laughs> well, there he is at number six. Brandon Moreno's back in the UFC. They rehired him, so he's at number 10. Mark De La Rosa at number 15. But this pushes everybody else down. What the hell is going on with these flyweight rankings, Joe? I don't know. I don't know. I've never understood when I was a part of the panel that was allowed to vote. And I just realized, no, I want out. I'm out. Got to go. I want to be part of this. Man. Uh, Bantamweight, Uriah Faber pops up at number 14. This pushes Almeida down one spot. Ricky Simone still out. Is this suitable for you? Because I think it's fair. I think that Uriah Faber, he won his fight before he left and he won this one. He beat the number 15 guy. So I'm okay with that. What about you? I have no problem with it, especially considering, you know, you mentioned Fight Matrix, you know, the, the, their algorithm when they put together the rankings. 
Uh, that's a very strong site. I used to use it way back in the day as well. Uh, you know, still monitor it every so often. So you take a look at how they have it ranked. You said they have Uriah ranked at number 10? Uh, no, Uriah is at number 14. No, no, no. On Fight Matrix. Oh, Fight Matrix. Yes, yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's... I'd rather lean towards more to Fight Matrix because of their algorithm, but at the same time, no problem with Uriah Faber being at number 14, and we'll see what's going to happen shortly. I want to see who they're going to match him up against next. It'll be very, very interesting. The featherweight rankings, Josh Emmett goes up to number 9 over Renato Moicano. Arnold Allen up to 12, Burgos to 13. Mirsad Bektic falls three spots after he lost to Emmett, but Ryan Hall at number 14. What do you think about this? Bektic falls hard. Emmett up a spot. Ryan Hall at number 14. I, I'm I'm looking at this and the Bantamweight rankings, and I'm like, damn, the panel, I think, is getting it right right here. Yeah, this this, this one is starting to make a bit more sense. When you take a look at what Ryan Hall uh, undefeated, you see what he's doing now. I think he's finally getting the respect now because it was, a, it was more of a mixed martial arts performance this time around than a grappling performance in a mixed martial arts fight. So now that he's starting to get respect, I think people now are going to start paying attention to him. It's always been his knock. It's just that they want more. Everybody wants more from Ryan Hall because it is a mixed martial arts fight and not a grappling belt. So if he continues to do this, he might shoot up those rankings. And, and like he, I mean, he wants a top 10 opponent. Flat out said it. He wants a top 10 opponent. Well, that brings you to Moicano and Emmett and Stevens and Yaria Rodriguez. So you, sh- you might be getting what you're wishing for. Lightweight rankings, no change there. Leon Edwards falls a spot in the welterweight rankings. Uriah Hall and Brad Tavares switch spots, whatever. Alexander <laughs> Gustafson, who retired Joe, moves up to number five in the light heavyweight rankings. Weird. No change at heavyweight or women's straw weight. There is no women's featherweight division. But Juliana Pena pops up in the bantamweight division at number four. This pushes everybody down a spot, except for Vivian Arajal, who debuted at 15. Number four for Pena. That's a little high for me. A little? Yeah. A little by about, I don't know, five or six. Oh, God. I would have put her... Oh, maybe above Lena Landsberg, maybe above Macy, but that's it. Been gone forever. It issues. You had legal problems. You, you, you had a, you had a child. Just competed for the first time. Number four. <whistles> All right. Women's flyweight. Joanne Calderwood up a spot. Mata Ferry up a spot. Jennifer Maya up three spots. Lauren Murphy up a spot. Borela up two spots. Macy Barber, Paige Van Zant, Otelio, Antonina Shevchenko, all up spots. Hot damn, Joe. Nico Montano leaving that division. Looks like it helped, unless I missed something. Who else fell out of that division? No, Nico. Yeah. Man. Man. No, it's just strange. Some some of the stuff is strange, but it's a very tough division. That one's a tough division to dissect as well because – it's getting now to the point where there's going to be there. There's depth in there, so I'm not saying any of these divisions are going to be like you know men's lightweight or men's welterweight. But man, one mistake, one loss in those types of divisions, you can be in big trouble. Well, that are that is the UFC rankings, kind of wild uh, that, that set of rankings. But uh, we have UFC San Antonio coming up this weekend. You know, our boy Kyler James is from San Antonio. Uh, bless the guy. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Kyler. Happy birthday, yep. Kyler. 
big supporter of the site and and helps out what we do so much on the social media and uh, can't say enough nice things about Kyler, a great dude. But let's talk about San Antonio, as terrible as the city may be. Oh, Jesus. You have Jinsu Sun, a minus 200. Mario Batista, a plus 170. Domingo Pilarte, a minus 320. Felipe Calares, a plus 260. You have Sam Alvey, a plus 140. Kidson Abreu, a minus 160. And then we kind of get into fights where everybody knows who some of these people are. Now, sad thing is, I will not be doing a live post show. We'll be doing a recap next Tuesday. But to me, out of the bat, even though it's the, the, the lowest line, anytime Sam Alvey's an underdog, I give him a chance, Joe. Yeah, I mean, because he sits there and he'll, he'll stand and trade with anyone. He's got that that weird sort of, it's almost like a judo stance, a judo guy that transitioned to MMA. It's like a laboring left foot that drags behind to sell the southpaw stance, and then he just lands bombs, right? So, I mean, who would have thought that he was going to lose to uh, Lil Nog in September, uh, and then Jimmy Crute gave him a bit of a beating uh, in February. So he, he's two straight losses. Do we see him actually pick up the pace here? Because I think, I mean, for the most part, Sam Alvey is more or less considered a counterfighter. So it remains to be seen what type of fighter or what type of strategy he brings into the octagon this time around. But he can't afford three losses in a row. Bottom line is, to, to, to validate your point, anytime Sam is an underdog, yeah, you might want to put five on it for sure. So, um, yeah, that that's one worth looking at. But this show is is just filled with familiar names. Jennifer Maya, a minus 120 against Roxanne Modafferi, a, min- a plus 100. You have Irene Aldana, a minus 155. Raquel Pennington, who is always, always a live dog, a plus 135. In these two women's fights, what stands out to you as far as style and betting odds? Uh, well, the fact that Pennington's the underdog, I mean, her last two losses were against Amanda Nunez and Jermaine Durandamy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's be honest, she went the distance with Jermaine Durandamy, a power puncher. Just goes to show you how good Pennington's striking is. Now, in the Amanda Nunes fight, let's forget about it. Even though it ended in the fifth round, that was a drubbing. I mean, again, it was against the, you know, arguably the GOAT in women's MMA. So tough for Pennington. I'm leaning towards Pennington in this fight. With all due respect to Irene Aldana, I'm leaning towards Pennington in this fight here. And I get what, what, what Irene has done, but again, look, look who she's taken out. Betch Correa in her last fight. Your fave. Hands down, your favorite fighter of all time. Betch Correa. Uh, Pudilova, split decision. right? And then Talita Bernardo, that went the distance. She lost to Caitlin uh, Chukagan and Leslie Smith before that. I'm taking Pennington in this fight. Yeah, I am too. I, and I don't think that's that controversial of a take necessarily because i mean she she got to a title fight she's done well outside of that very tip top level and i don't think that aldana is that tip top level if you want me to be honest i'm really interested to see how alex caceres does against steven peterson uh caceres is a minus 150 peterson is a plus 130 peterson uh how how do i put this um he's not consistent he is a guy that came off of Dana White's Contender Series. I feel like Caceres is experienced enough to get it done, but he also has his wealth of issues with consistency, Joe. And I think yeah. that may continue here. It's just what it – really, to me, it, it's down to whatever guy has it that night. Because as we've seen from Peterson, 
He can finish you on the ground. He can finish you on the feet, but he's not finished anybody in the UFC. Alex Caceres uh, has had that issue similarly over the last four or five years. He's finished one guy. I don't think he'll ever return to the form he was at in 2013, 2014, where it looked like he was really finally realizing his potential. But that doesn't mean that I think that he's lost it by any stretch. He's still 31 years old, uh, not that much uh, more weathered than Peterson. And as far as cage miles goes, Peterson fought in Bellator in 2010. Like Just because he's new to UFC doesn't mean he's new to MMA. Uh, How do you think this one goes? Um, yeah, I'm leaning towards Caceres. You know, I think uh, I think he should be able to. Like I said, he's got the experience in the UFC. Uh, you know, I think he had uh, a tough break uh, recently. Uh, all things considered, uh, that that fight with Cron Gracie, I mean, you can't give up your back. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't care how good you may think you are. Sometimes you got to realize that ah, I don't want this guy on my back. I'm not going to the ground with this guy. I can outstrike him. That's what I need to do. Um, you know, two minutes and six seconds. Kron Gracie gets your neck. Listen, I've seen Kron Gracie when I called this fight against Tatsuya Kawajiri. That was, you know, that was a 10-minute round, that first round, Sean. And for the most part, Kron had his back. And defend, 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 defend. Eventually, he just caught Tatsuya Kawajiri. So uh, I think Kron Gracie, or excuse me, I think uh, Alex Caceres is going to be fine in this fight here. He's just got to do what he has to do. Let his, let his feet go. Let his hands go. Let that spinning stuff go. Uh, and just do his very best to surprise Steven Peterson. Also on this show, Andre Arlovsky, a plus 160 against Ben Rothwell, a minus 185. Ben Rothwell is going to win this fight, and it will not stop people from calling out Andre Arlovsky. Nothing gets me more angry in MMA than people calling out Andre Arlovsky, who never wins, just because he was UFC champion back when Jesus and Moses were tag-teaming. And gas was twelve cent a gallon, as as a wise man once said. I'm so over it. But for Ben Rothwell, he wants to avenge that loss that happened in 2008, right? Because he lost yeah. to Andre Arlovski at Affliction Band. He wants to avenge that loss, and he might be able to do so. But Arlovski doesn't go away, man. Let's let's not kid ourselves. This guy here, not a diff, not a not an easy guy uh, to finish. I mean, he went he did a split with Augusto Sakai. Uh, that Walt Harris fight was overturned. Uh, and he went the distance with Tuivasa, uh, uh, you know, and, and Shamil. So, listen, man, dude won't go away. He's hard to knock out. So Rothwell's in for a tough 15 minutes if this thing goes the distance. So again, we could say all we want, heavyweights, and don't blink. You know, this one might be a situation where it's going to be a, a bomb fest. We just got to be careful here uh, if you're Ben Rothwell because Arlovsky can, you know, turn your lights out real quick. But I mean, if you scroll down Arlovsky's record right now, he's won two fights since January of 2016. And the thing is, that that's even a little bit misleading because you could look at that and say, oh, well, you know what? Juliana Pena's only won two fights since then too, but she missed a lot of time. Correct. He hasn't. He hasn't. He is, he's got, he should be two and 10 right now in his last 12. And here's the thing. He has no finishes in his last 14 fights, I think. Not only that, in like his last six or seven, they ain't even finishing him. It's just oh. boring. Really, the last great performance I remember him having was even against, uh, I think it was maybe Barnett in loss. They had a fight of the night, but oh my God, I hope it's good. 
Alexander Hernandez, a minus 185. Francisco Trinaldo, a plus 160. I think that Hernandez is going to get it done here. Uh, although Francisco Trinaldo is not an easy out. He That's is a brick host, man. Yes. And a wily veteran. He's going to be 41 next month, Joe. 41. Alexander Hernandez is 26. He's coming off a loss to Donald Cerrone. Can he recapture the Benio Dariush magic, or will the experience of Trinaldo be too much for him? I'm going to go with A. I'll go with A. I think he can do it, but it won't be easy because Trinaldo's a beast. But remember, we got a speed factor here. Uh, and in my opinion, Hernandez's speed might be a little too much. As long as he sits on the outside, picks, his, picks away, chops away, before you know it, that, that opportunity will present itself, and I think he'll be able to get a TQ victory here. We also have Dan Hooker, minus 140. James Vick, a plus 120. I did not think we would see James Vick as an underdog this soon after his his extended run, Joe. Are you surprised by that? Uh, no, no. He's, he's dropped two in a row. So Yeah, that's one reason why, and, and there's always recency bias, right? Whenever these these odds makers put together everything, they, they'll dissect it, but they also realize, ah, I think the, the fan base is going to go here. Let's move it up a little bit and see what happens. And, you know, lo and behold, I think this line might change as we get closer to the fight. But uh, Dan Hooker's a bad dude, uh, even though he's coming off that loss to Edson Barbosa. Nothing wrong with losing to Edson Barbosa, uh, who, you know, could be streaky as well. But this is going to be a fantastic fight. This one could easily uh, end up being fight of the night. So this is going to be rough if Vic loses three in a row after that run he went on. That's tough, man. Yeah, big time. That'd be tough. Greg Hardy, a minus 105. Juan Adams, a minus 115. You know who I have winning this, Joe? Whoever connects with their fist into the <laughs> other person's face first. Juan Adams is very, very athletic. Obviously, Greg Hardy is an elite athlete, a successful NFL player whose career was ended by his own undoing, like his own idiotic uh, things that he did. This is a very interesting fight to me, for better or for worse. If Juan Adams beats Greg Hardy, I think he'll be like a folk hero to some people. Let's be real. Well, let me ask you this. Hardy played for Dallas, right? Yes. Uh, you tell me, being an American, the Dallas relationship with San Antonio, I'm sure there's a rivalry there. That do... San Antonio doesn't have a football team, I don't think. No, they don't. But what I'm saying are people from San Antonio, do they despise Dallas per se because they do have a team and you know they don't support them or do they because being a folk hero for Juan Adams might be a situation where you just took out a guy that we hate right yeah but I mean I meant more plus I mean San Antonio people hate everything because their city sucks but it's it's pretty simple there but you've got Greg Hardy why you hate them so much why why San Antonio sucks so much oh because the city's garbage that's why Nothing personal. It's just the people and the city suck real bad. Um, Nothing. (laughs) Poor DeMar DeRozan. Yeah, he had to go from the greatest city in the world, Toronto, to San Antonio. Poor guy. All good. Oh, man. But, I mean. But Juan Adams, he basically said that. I like how he's trash-talking Hardy, though. Your opponents were all hand-picked by the UFC. Your run's over, son. Okay. Let's, Let's watch this one, yeah. I like it, and I think he's he's athletic enough to get it done. Alexi Olenek, a minus, or plus 125 against Walt Harris, a minus 145. Walt Harris is a good story. He is persistent. He kept at it and eventually found success in the UFC. Here's my thing. 
Anytime Alexi Olenek is a plus anything, he's worth me putting five on, even though he's one of the closest lines on the show, because he has something in his arsenal that nobody else in UFC history has ever had in their arsenal, Joe. And you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Can you break that down to people why that is so crucial? Why that, what his offensive tools stand out above anybody's? I don't think I've ever pulled off an Ezekiel choke in training without the gi. I mean, doing no gi training to pull off the Ezekiel choke, I might be able to do it on my son. I would never do it to my son. But you need to have a certain amount of positioning and strength and understanding of where to put your arms to pull off an Ezekiel choke, especially in MMA. And at the same time, when you look at uh, you know Alexi's record and the amount of people he submitted, uh, whether by a rear naked choke or just submissions, neck cranks, I mean, this scarf hold, I mean, the guy's a beast if he gets your neck. The reason why I love this fight is it's one of those styles versus style matchups. Walt Harris was adamant after his fight that nobody in the heavyweight division has the speed and accuracy that he has. Now, we have ourselves a situation where a fast heavyweight striker is taking on a supreme submission specialist. Bring it on. This thing could end at any time. It could end exciting in an exciting fashion in the stand-up realm. It could also get – it could be over real quick if it hits the ground. So this is a fantastic fight. Again, I know I said James's fight uh, and Dan Hooker's fight could be fight of the night. This one could be fight of the night as well because it could be a great performance by only one of these two guys perhaps. We also have Ray Borg, a minus 235. Gabriel Silva, a plus 195. Borg's taking this. Yeah, I mean, as much as you made fun of Ray Borg for the past three years, Ray Borg's going to win this I fight. didn't make fun of him. I <laughs> He missed weight an awful lot and pulled out of fights an awful lot. He's going to whip this guy's ass, I think. Leon Edwards, a minus 120 against Rafael Dos Anjos, a plus 100. I see Leon Edwards taking this. Leon Edwards should not be in this fight. Leon Edwards should be fighting somebody who has been winning with regularity. Leon Edwards deserves a top-notch opponent, and I get it that uh, Rafael Dos Anjos beat Kevin Lee and that Rafael Dos Anjos is Dana White's litmus test for everybody. But, man, Leon Edwards has won seven fights in a row against some good names, Vicente Luque, Donald Cerrone, Gunnar Nelson, even Barbarine is a pretty nice name. I think he's going to win this, and I, I think he'll probably do it within two rounds. Very happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Rafael Angels, rear naked choke, third round. That's possible, too. I don't think it's going to be a wash or anything. I just think that it'll get into a situation where Leon Edwards wins it within two. But it, I would not be shocked to see a five-rounder. Here for Edwards. Ladies and gentlemen, please pay attention to Sean Rossap's Twitter on Saturday evening. If he's watching it live, you will know if RDA wins this fight, he'll take a shot at me. If Leon Edwards wins this fight, he will still take a shot at me. So pay attention. I will be at the Turtleback Ridge Hog and Craw that night. I will not be watching <laughs> that is awesome. the show live. That is awesome. uh, By the way, uh, my son and I watched some WWE last night. It was, oh, uh, it did was you? kind of fun. There was a four-woman uh, oh boy, what'd you think of that? Because the crowd hated it. It was yeah, it wasn't long. Anything. Yeah, long. My son was like, "What are they doing here?" I had to explain to him what was happening. Blah blah. But yeah, it was it was it was it wasn't great. It was okay. But then I had to step away and 
Um, there was the Ten Man Battle Royal or some of that. No, was yes, it? Yes, the Ten Man Battle Royal. That, that, yeah. that seems like it'd be more your all speed. Yeah, for the for the right to fight Lesnar. Yes, at SummerSlam. And who won that? Seth Rollins, the same guy who's oh. fought him like two or three times. Okay, yeah, you were saying earlier on. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was fun. I, I you know I I enjoyed it. Maybe you know I've been sort of heeding your advice. Should I? Shouldn't I let Thomas watch? Uh, because we already know he's got issues with throwing his hands <laughs> and dropping people, um, which doesn't translate in soccer. I just want to well, mention that. Hey, here's Period. the thing. My mom kept me from watching boxing, MMA, and wrestling when I was younger because she, yeah. I think she blamed my ADHD on it. What am I doing all the time now? I'm still <laughs> doing it. I'm still doing it. So That's awesome. We will recap UFC San Antonio on next Tuesday's show. Make sure you guys check that out. Leave us a thumbs up. Subscribe. We're on podcast platforms everywhere. Until next time, guys, follow Joe at Joe A. Ferraro. Follow me at Sean Rossap. Follow us at Fightful MMA. We're out.